partner Sherry Smith from the British Blacklist. Hi, I'm Roy Williams, playwright, screenwriter. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, let's just talk about lockdown first. How how are you feeling now? <laughs> I heard you you contracted. I did, yeah. I did, yes. Yeah. Don't ask me how or where, but um it got me. I won't lie, it was pretty bad to begin with. It happened not long after the first lockdown. Yeah. And it it just took me out of action. I just stayed at home. I did what we were all told. I did go on the NHS website because um there was a period when it I felt it was getting worse and I was worried, oh, is this me? Do I need to go into hospital? So I did that online, you know, you know, they give you a sort of test or something, check you out. And they just said at the end, stay at home, don't come into hospital. So I was kind of relieved. And I just stayed, I just did what I was told, stayed at home, sweated it out really, and hoped that it got better and slowly and slowly over the 14 day period, because I didn't leave the house at all. I gradually got better and that was a relief. Well, yeah, I'm glad that you're yeah. Like, do you feel healthy and stuff again now? I don't know if I feel healthy, I feel healthier. And I certainly feel a hell of a lot better than I did. And um, as soon as I fell ill, I knew what it was because I've never felt that way my entire life. I've had colds, I've had flu, so I know the difference. And this was something else. I was fairly certain it was COVID. Did your run of the death of England, am I right in thinking that it finished before? It finished. We got very lucky. It finished roughly about sort of nine days before the lockdown. So we were quite fortunate we were able to do a run and, and finish as planned. Sadly, uh, my other colleagues and other productions weren't so lucky, but we, we got lucky. We were very fortunate. Amazingly, it was a fantastic run and it meant a lot to us on so many levels. One, because it's, it was a different way of working. I've never co-written a play before. On a national, obviously, a one-person plays, which was a completely different form to what I've written before. And also the casting was different because Rafe was on board from day one. We never auditioned. It was him, it was him all the time. So we wrote the play, you know, with always with, with him in mind. And also it was just an interesting subject matter. You know, there's two black writers writing mm-hmm. a play about a white working class man. So I know there were some, I don't, I don't think there were any objections, but I think there were, there were questions like, oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I can see the confusion in some people's heads. Mm-hmm. And that pleases me. I like confusing them. I like confounding expectations. Yeah. And but yeah, but at the, end the, at the end of the day, Clint and I we felt justified in writing that story. We just felt no, we, we have an opinion, we have a viewpoint on who this guy is and what he's saying about this country, this nation, and we mm-hmm. felt you know justified and qualified to write it, regardless of skin color. So now the theatre industry is opening up again, well, slowly, <laughs> and slowly. Um, it's very unclear what's going on. But, yeah. I mean, are you affected by this in any way? We all are. That's just unavoidable. And yeah, it's slowly up and again. But, you know, it's, you know, we don't know what's going to happen again. There's already this talk about, oh, there could be another lockdown. It could be something else, which will be damaging to our industry if it isn't already. But yeah, it is affecting it. But, you know, I'm just, um, I think I'm just carrying on the way I normally carry on. I just take a few months at a time. I've got no other choice in the, the profession that I've made for myself and the profession I, you know, make a living out of. It's never been sort of a long-term goal. It's all, I've always planned it. Okay, let's see where I am in six months. When that's six months, oh, let me see where I am in that six months. So that's kind of that's kind of how I'm dealing with this at the moment. You spent the last couple of months uh, working on 846. Yeah. So, yeah, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Like most people, black and white, when that story happened, we were all shocked and sickened by it. I was. It wasn't immediately my immediate response to do something about it because, um, you, know, you know, forgive me for saying this, but when it happened, I just thought, oh, yeah, another black guy is killed by the police. Yeah, nothing new there. So I had a level of cynicism in it. I was just thinking nothing's going nothing's gonna to happen. Nothing's going to change. This 
you know, I'm not justifying at all what happened by just going, this is going to go on and on and on until we do something. And that's as, as far as I thought my thinking would take me. But then for some reason, over the next couple of weeks, it just spilled. It just carried on. There were protests all over the world, and uh, particularly by young people in, in, in America, in England, and then other countries, France, Australia, New Zealand, India. And I was taken back by that. I was stunned, and, and I slightly felt slightly hard. I just thought, okay, it's happened before, but this, not, not like this. This is, this is something different. And then that made me think more and more. And I, and I felt, oh no, now I, I do want to say something now. I want to join in. I want to add something to it. But I knew instinctively this wasn't for me to do it on my own. So the first people I reached out to was um, a group I belonged to on Facebook of black and Asian writers, screenwriters. And I just said, look, guys, let's, let's have a Zoom. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. So we all met, about 15 of us. And we all, they all felt very similar as I did about it. And I said, okay, well, we're writers. Let's write something. And that was it. And we came to the conclusion how we would write it is, is um, we use that sentence, eight minutes, 46 seconds, and decide for each of ourselves what that statement means to us in light of what's, the, or what's been happening. Mm-hmm. So we all went away, wrote something, and then I, I approached Nadia Fort Stratford East. I told her what, what, what we were doing. She got very, very excited. And the first thing she said was, Roy, if, if theatres were open, this is something I would do on stage right now. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, we don't have the stage, but you know, what, what can we do? And then that was the idea about, um, you know, get, get our pieces recorded and, and posted on their um, website as a podcast series, you know, so it's a series of um, monologues and, and, and speeches and just thoughts, really. So it was good that she, she wanted to um, help in that way. Yeah, I told them and, and, and then we just got cracking, really. We worked very, very quickly on it. Most of the actors, I think pretty much all of the actors recorded their speeches on mobile on their phones. Oh, really? We didn't want to hang around. It was this wasn't something like oh we'll, we'll do it, we'll talk about it, we'll write a draft, then write a second draft, and then maybe get a performance. Where we just said no, let's just get it out there as soon as possible because we just felt this is what it means to us, and we just want it, we just want people to know. We want to keep that sentence, that you know, that incident, that and everything that Black Lives Matter stands for. We just want to do our bit to keep it, to keep that argument and that statement and that movement going. I listened to it last week and. Mm-hmm. I found it very powerful. I, I think particularly the range of stuff that you managed yeah. to include in it. I wasn't surprised by that, but given the yeah. writers that were there, I knew straight off we're going to get a full range, different different voices of different POVs. And I found that really, really exciting. So so I, I thought we, it was a really good group. Very clearly, there's episode one is growing up in racist Britain. Episode mm. two is police brutality. And episode three is the effects of racism on mental health. Yeah. Was that something that came after you'd um, gathered all the pieces? Once we knew what we had, it was very easy to, to place in those sort of those three episodes. It was simple as that. I think what you were saying about your immediate reaction to George Floyd's murder and that this sentiment of we're writers, so we need to write about this. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you feel as a writer that whenever something big like this happens, do you feel a responsibility to? articulate or um, make it comprehensible in some sense? I don't know if responsibility is the word or even if duty is the word. It's, it's a need. It's got to be a burning need inside of you, the writer. So mm-hmm. if you see something that affects you, regardless if it's a newsworthy story or just a personal experience that has happened to you, if it's burning inside of you, then, then you do have a need to write it, whatever that is. 
Um, we're all affected by things in various different ways. Fortunately for the 846 guys, we all, we all affected the same way. So that made it easy. That doesn't mean everyone else is and, and do it. We shouldn't force them to because, you know, it's, it's going on. If they don't feel a burning desire to write something in response to it, then they shouldn't do it. You know, if, if it's not for them, it's not for them. And that's fine. You know, I think that's down to individual writer. If whatever stuff the subject matter is about, if you feel, oh my God, I'm never going to get a moment's sleep. I'm never going to get a moment's peace if I don't write something. Then, you know, you more or less answered your own question. You've got to write it. You've got to express it somehow. That's the building blocks of any good piece of drama when you start from that. Yeah. Well, I guess you have to connect to it in some way. You've got you? to connect to it. You've got to connect to it. But yeah, you've got to connect to it. But otherwise, you just got to feel this, this makes me feel something. I've just got to write it. And I'd like to think that's what's driven me in everything I've, I've ever written. I always felt, you know, yes, war is bad. This is bad. Such and such is bad. But, uh, you know, but I've got to, it's got to take me over the line. It's got to make me feel, you know, burning sense to, to write for whatever reason. I grew up in uh, West London mm-hmm. all my life. I only moved over the river about 12 years ago. But, you know, West London, to a certain degree, is my spiritual home. I lived about three minute walk away from Grenfell. And I mean, again, that's something, and I have started writing a play about that. Um, it's, not, it's nowhere near finished, but I have started that. But that's an example of something I just felt, I just knew inside me, if I don't write something about Grenfell, I'm never gonna have a good night's sleep ever again. That's a burning need in, inside of me to write that play because of that area, that community and what it meant to me growing up. That's my own personal duty, not a duty that other people think I should be. But that's my personal duty. I just thought I'm, I need to write that. I mean, with all of this in mind, that Nadia Four has described 846 as a piece of creative activism. I think that's definitely fitting. When I was listening to it, that feeling of empowerment from it is something that I feel is very common to if you're in the protests. But then also that informative nature of it, like just showing the extent of the problem of racism yeah. in Britain. In a broader sense, do you think that there is a boundary between art and activism? Or do you think that often the stuff you're writing is kind of what could be interpreted as trying to do something activist? I think it makes things interesting when there isn't a boundary. I think you get a lot of things done quicker. And I think also the art is forced to kind of really kind of be ex- more exposing in a weird way rather than because I think you know, once you get boundaries then you have rules then you have kind of um, I don't know I don't know if this is the right word but it's levels of bureaucracy I don't mean that in a literal sense but there's just steps you take and so on once you remove those boundaries potentially I think art can be much more exciting and possibly dangerous as well uh, I would think when you're not yeah there's no boundaries there's no rules there's no I don't know like, yeah, there's, there's nothing to kind of hold you you just respond immediately to the art and what you want to say and how you want to say it so in that, in that, in that regard I think it can be potentially interesting I think what with um with 846 that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do it why why we work so quickly we just kind of we don't care you know we don't care if it gets reviewed or not but that's not what it's about and I guess when I says like in terms of reviews that's uh, that's what I mean that's kind of one of the um I wouldn't say restrictions that's one of the things one has to follow when there are boundaries between arts and, and activism. You have to you know, bear in mind your audience, bear in mind who's going to review it. 
how it's cast, how it's presented, how it's staged, and, and, and so on. There's all those things, those guidelines you have to follow, which are important. You know, I'd argue that they're very, very, very much important. But, you know, every, every so once, once in a while you get rid of those, you know, it's interesting to, to, to view art that doesn't worry about any of that. It's just the work, and you just show it for what it is right from the off. And it's not about whether it gets three stars or four stars or transfers somewhere else. It's not about that. It's about what's there at that precise moment. I welcome opportunities like that. I really do. Yeah, no, it sounds kind of liberating. Yeah, yeah very liberating, yeah. Focusing on... Just a piece of work and, yeah, you, you take it or you leave it, you move on. Yeah. Yeah. In regards to that feeling of you don't care if it gets reviewed or not, I found it very... Hmm interesting when I was reading the stages review that they had decided that they didn't want to put a star rating yeah and particularly because of uh, they didn't feel that mainstream criticism at the moment has the vocabulary to re review um, a piece like 846 yeah but I think the reason why I found that interesting is because I don't think 846 is the only play I've seen particularly by a black playwright that doesn't want the audience to to think kind of in a difficult way about racism that kind of seems to transcend a lot of, you know, mainstream theatre criticism. Yeah. And so I just wanted your thoughts. Like, do you think that this is a problem that points to the way that work by uh, black playwrights is being perceived generally? It's not just because of that. I, I, I think generally that's still a problem. I think that's been a problem for as long as I've been a playwright. The PFEs from these male critics who are predominantly white and male. I think that is... A problem all on its own really with this with 846 we didn't care we talked about this on a zoom meeting i said you know once it's out there it's, it's you know it's probably going to get reviewed and we just said well you know yes it is going to be out there you know what there's nothing we can do about that but we chose not to subscribe to any reviews or such we knew why we were doing it and it was like as we said it was an immediate piece of art it's and personally i felt it's not there to be reviewed i worked on another thing for the bush theater something very similar to 846 and they reviewed it and I wasn't happy with that. I understand why. And again, because it's out there in public domain, they have the right to, to view it as, as like, but you know, but I just, I kind of switched off. I kind of thought, okay, fine. But you know, that, that's not why I did it. And in my opinion, that's not what that thing was about. Certainly what 846 was about. But like I said, on, on the other end, that is a problem. We don't, you know, the range of uh, theatricals in this country is not mixed. Yeah, that's been a concern. Same it is when I, before the lockdown, when I stood, you know, in 2020, when I still go to the theatre, I still find myself sometimes being the only black person in the audience in okay. 2020. That's just, um, yeah. So I, I would say that's part and parcel of the same problem. That theatre yeah. does need to do something about. I mean, I don't, I miss going to the theatre. I love the theatre, but I don't want it to be the same when we all get back to a relatively bit of normality. When theatres do reopen, I don't want more of the same. I want it to be different. And I want their work, the, the things they put on to reflect you know, the Britain that I know, and the world I know, actually, yeah. I mean, in regards to that, 846 is a radio play. Do you have a sense of what audience that you're aiming that towards? Everybody. Everybody who is affected by that shocking video, really. Yeah. Black and white. It's for us, people of colour, to tell everyone else, this is our take on it. And, yeah, it was a, it was a shocking killing. But look what spun off from it. And that just shows how much that it means to us. It's not just as simple of, of him putting his knee down on that guy's neck. As shocking as her, and horrific as it was, I still have trouble saying it, you mm. know, because I have to relive it in, in my mind. But it speaks for a lot of how we're feeling.
So it's there for us to express that. And it's there for people to understand that this is going on. You know, I'm not asking you to agree or disagree. I mean, um, I mean, I kind of very foolishly wasted my time getting to argue with some less than intelligent people on Twitter about it. When I suppose I should have just said is, look, I'm asking you to agree or disagree, but you need to understand. You're not understanding. You, know, you think you are, but you're not understanding. We can agree or disagree. I'm okay for that. But what I have zero patience for is people who don't understand. So you were talking about the project you're working with the Bish Theatre. Was that um, the protest yeah. Black Lives Matter, I think? Yeah, I wrote one of them. It was just one minute short. So, I mean, the protest and also my white best friend at the Royal Court, they've both been created mm. during lockdown. I, I mean, my white best friend pre-existed. It did, yeah, for about but, a year or so ago. Yeah. But do you think that the current context is giving rise to kind of this, this anti-racist theatre or is it just that we're suddenly being exposed to this a lot more? Um, no, I think, I think it is giving rise to it. I hope it continues. With, you know, if we just put Black Lives Matter aside for a moment, race as a subject matter I've been writing about for, for several years and in many of my plays. And I'm always surprised not many other writers write about it as well. It's it's a theme that defines a lot of planet, you know, a lot of things that have happened in our history, mm-hmm. you know, recent history, and in real, you know, if you want to go back many, many years, all stems from the issues of race. It's a very complex beast, and it always surprises me, you know, not, there's not enough of us exploring it and all its, you know, its nastiness and its complexity. I'm kind of glad this is happening. I really am. I'm very pleased. And I think particularly that stuff you're talking about with history, it's very weird in Britain how we ignore our history of racism. And I think yeah. even when I was at school, we learned about American racism a lot. Yeah. But very little about, about British. British slave trade, yeah. Yeah. Time, yeah. Minuscule, minuscule. And that's not good enough. That's no, really it's really good enough. Because it's, um, and it's, it's not about putting Britain under the spot, but you know, it, it is an acceptance that... The world we are living in is a consequence of the decisions made 500 years ago. That, that's a fact. And I think our children should be taught it. You know, slave trade wasn't just a little thing that happened in another country. It was worldwide. People made profit from selling human bodies to other people. And, yeah, that should be taught. That should be explored. That should be pulled apart completely. Really should be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I noticed in 8.46 that in the second episode, you also include uh, voices from America, particularly you talk about the, the death of Fong Lee. Well, I mean, was that important to you to include an American perspective as well? It was, it was important for that writer to export it. Yeah, really. It was, you know, it was more their call. And it was, a, you know, as I said before, it was a different voice to add to the mix. So, yeah, on an artistic level, it was, it was nice to have that range. A big issue in the British... I think film industry predominantly, but it, it does go into theatre as well, that, you know, a lot of black actors are migrating to the to America, the American film industry, because of there's better roles yeah. over there. Do you think that there's anything that American theatre actually is doing right that we can learn mm. from at this point? Oh, where do I start? Don't give those guys, those actors, a reason to go to America. You know, give them a reason to stay here and work here. That's the reason why they, they went there, because there was nothing here for them. You know, I mean, the grass isn't greener over there. But as someone said, but their glass ceiling is a lot higher than the glass ceiling here. That's why they're going over there. And if we really care for them, if we really admire them so much, we don't let them leave in the first place. I think it's interesting, someone like, kind of going away from theatre for a moment, but it's interesting, someone like Idris Elba, who worked in this country, you know, in, in admittedly, 
was he? He was just a jobbing actor. Went to America, made his success. He comes back, he's lauded. And then all of a sudden he finds all these work he's able to do, which is great. It's great for him and I'm glad he's here. But I just kind of thought, you know, if you'd just given him that work to begin with, he wouldn't need to go over there in the first place. Give them a reason to stay. Give them jobs that are worthy of their time. As much as you give the, to the likes of Benedict Cumberbatch and so many other white actors I could, I, I could take all day naming. We find quality work for those guys. And they're good and they deserve to be working. But let's you know, do the same for people of colour, please. Yeah, it's ridiculous yeah. that you should make your career in America and then yeah. come back here. I know. Yeah, exactly. There's just, yeah, it makes no sense. Do you have any other projects coming up that you want to tell us about? There's a couple that I can't talk about. It's not because I'm not allowed to, because I just, I'm a superstitious man. I don't like announcing it until I know it's going to happen. And there's two projects that are very close to happening, but they're not happening yet. So I don't want to jinx myself. Sorry. But, you know, but, you know, I'm working on a couple of scripts and I've got commissioned to write a new play for theatre. But, you know, Lord knows when that will be done. Yeah. Not for a while anyway, but you know, it's nice to know it's there. Good. Yeah. Keeping busy anyway. Yeah. Keeping busy. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. you remind us where we can catch 846? You can catch it on the Theatre Royal Stratford um website. The podcasts are there available for free. And also we're going to be doing a live performance of some of the pieces at the Greenwich Docklands International Festival, which begins end of August and ends on the 12th of September. So you'll be able to you know, come along and view some live performances of the pieces yourself, which is going to be yeah. really exciting. It would be nice to be back at the theatre, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you very much, Bruce. My pleasure.